If you'd do me a favor, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 37. We're going to get there in just a little bit. But this morning, I want to share a message with you. Um, and it's one of the most significant, about one of the most significant characters in the Bible, in my opinion. And it's a story of Joseph. Joseph, who is the son of Jacob. And it's amazing because he goes from a young 17-year-old young man to literally be in, in the course of a matter, in a matter of years, becoming the second most powerful man in the world, only uh, second to Pharaoh. And, and here's the thing though, it took a transformation in, in Joseph's life, it took a transformation from God to get to, to get to that place where he was a 17 year old to the second most powerful man on the world. And I believe that when you read the story of Joseph, we're gonna do a lot of scripture reading today, but I want you to go back this week and really look at the whole story because I'm going to pick, I'm going to kind of cherry pick verses because it's just a long story there and see that God will give you a pattern or a path on how you can begin to position yourself to walk in the transformation of God and recognize and fulfill the calling of God on your life, that, that calling that God has for each and every one of us. Okay, wherever you are right now, in this room, there online, uh, in the good, in the bad, in the, in the in-between, God has a plan. He has a purpose for you. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Here's, here's the title of the message. You're being prepared by God. You're being prepared by God. And here's the key. We have to fully embra- embrace the process that God has for us in order to get there. Okay, we have to surrender everything to God. And part of embracing uh, the, the plan and the purposes of God is going to require for us to have a shift in our mindset. Because we have, we can, we're celebrating uh, the 4th of July weekend and all those kind of things. And we grew up in, we grow up and we live in a democracy. But can I tell you something? The kingdom of God is not a democracy. Okay, it's a kingdom. And we serve a king. We are his servants. It's not like Burger King where we get it our way, okay? You've heard me maybe say this before. It's not our way, it's Yahweh. It's God's way. He's the one who has his subjects that we submit to, we surrender our lives to, and we follow his plan, his pattern, his purpose for our lives. It's not like we say, God, you know what? I know you're the king and all that kind of stuff, but I want to do this. We say, no, God, you are the king. And no matter what stuff I want to do, I submit myself to you, to your plans and to your purposes. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. So one of the keys to unlocking our destiny in God is understanding and submitting to his kingdom, which is governed by his word, okay? God has a plan for Joseph. We're going to read this story here in just a second. But he also has a plan for you. Psalm 139.14 says this, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God has already written your story. The plan and the path has already been laid out. You have to walk in it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word, Lord God, that is truth. And we pray that that truth would be today revelation and not just information. In Jesus' name, amen. We have to follow God's recorded plan, not our own plan. 
When we stray off God's plan, and sometimes we will, we have to get back onto it to fulfill his purpose for our life. So here we are, you're there in the book of Genesis. By the way, you can go to Version, the app, and there under events, it's a small little three lines there on your app, your phone app, click on that and click events, search for Rev City, and you'll see all these notes that we're gonna go through today. Genesis chapter 37, starting verse two. Now this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Billah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brother were doing. I don't know about you, but when I had a little brother growing up and he was a tattletale, one of the things we used to tell all the time was like, snitches get stitches, bro. But Jacob had a son, Joseph, who he would send to watch over his, his half-brothers, his older brothers, and they'd come, he'd come back and tell them when they were doing stuff that they weren't supposed to be doing. So Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob made a, a special gift for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And one night, Joseph had a dream, and he told his brothers about it, and they hated him even more. Listen to this dream. He said, we're out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundles stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed before mine. Now, let me stop right there. I want you to understand, when you read that, this is a dream from God giving, given to Joseph. Okay, so he tells the dream to his brothers and his brothers responded, so you think you're gonna rule over us? You're gonna be our king? Do you actually think you're gonna reign over us? And they hated him all the more. If they didn't hate him then, enough then, they hated him all the more now because of his dreams, but listen to this, and the way he talked about them. See, God has a dream for you and sometimes he's gonna share that dream with you, but it's important how you steward that dream and also how you talk about that dream. Because not everybody is for your dream. That doesn't matter, God's for your dream. God gave you the dream. So when you're praying that God give me the dream, what is the dream that you have for my life? Be mindful of how you steward that dream, stay on the path, but then also how you speak about that dream. We have, to, we have to be, let me say it this way, you, you have to be humble with your dreams. Don't go to your brothers and sisters and say, listen, I had a dream, and you guys basically were bowing down before me. It's not going to go well with you and your brothers and sisters. Keep the dream to yourself. God has given me a dream, and it's a great dream. And I just need to be in alignment with God's purposes and plans for my life so the dream to come to pass. So then Joseph has another dream. <laughs> And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. And this time he told his dream to his father as well as brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. And I love that part because Jacob knew the ways of God to some extent. And he probably had a good 
in, in, uh, in, inclination or intuition that this could be God speaking to his son, his favorite son. And while it was frustrated him a little bit to think that he would be bound down to his son, it said he kept it in his heart. He thought about, God, what are you doing here? Now listen, this wasn't a too much pizza dream the night before. This was a God-given dream for Joseph to be raised up and to become that second most powerful man in the world at that time. And I know this is going to sound like a stretch to you, but it's the truth. God has a powerful dream for you as well. A powerful plan for you as well. A plan to give you a future and a hope. To have incredible influence in every area of your life. For his kingdom. For us to walk that out, we have to have a revelation of how God works in our lives. And then we have to follow his ways, not our own ways. That way, when we're prepared for that time, God releases us into his plan and into his purpose. But he's too good of a steward to release us into something that we're going to forfeit because we're not obedient to his word. If you're taking notes here, write this down. God's purpose for you is great. Maybe you look at your, 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 the person next to you on your right or left and say, God's purpose for you is great. You can whisper it to him like I hear you doing. God's purpose for you is great. <laughs> See, God wants to do great things in you, in you, and then through you. Pastor Thomas, Pastor Thomas said this often, and he actually said it last week. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Amen. You're not a mistake. We have to surrender to that purpose. We have to surrender to the plan. Number two, the timing and the path are up to God. Remember, we're not operating from a democracy mindset, but a kingdom mindset. We're servants of the king. His timing, his path, the one that we're on is not our own. So therefore, we have to stay yielded to him. Because that path is going to have some twists and some turns. It's going to have some highs and some lows. So we have to be dependent, as Adrian said earlier, not independent. Okay, God, I got the path. I'm on my own now. No, no, no. We're, inter, we're interdependent with him. We're partnering with him. But we're dependent on his plan and purpose to see it through. James 4, 5 says this. Do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. When you're on the path, you gotta stay close to God. Don't get in front of him. Don't get too far behind him. Partner up with him and walk with him. Stay humble. Listen, we want to resist the devil all day long, but we don't necessarily want to submit to God first, which is what it says to do. We have to submit ourselves to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee, and then we walk on the path. Number three, pressures and trials lead to God's positioning. And this is the least favorite part you're going to like of this sermon, okay? Because here's what this means. Pressures and trials lead to God's positioning. Oftentimes, what we would describe that as in, in Christian culture is, I'm in a wilderness experience right now. 
And nobody likes the wilderness. And here's the thing, it's the hardest season that we'll go through. But it can also become the most fruitful season when we come out of it. Genesis 37, continuing in the book of Genesis. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him at a distance. Now, let me give you a little bit of backstory here. So Joseph's brother went out to go look, they went to go look for more pasture. And Jacob, knowing his sons, says to Joseph, the tattletale, hey, go check on your brothers to see how they're doing and then come back and report to me. So he loads him up with some food and he sends him on his way. But as he's going on his way, if you, some of your scriptures will say this, he was kind of daydreaming. He was wandering. He was daydreaming again. That's kind of his MO. He runs into a man and says, have you seen my brother? He says, yeah, they're in this other town. And so he goes to this town. Now his brothers see him for afar off. And here's why I believe they saw him. Because he was wearing that stinking colored coat that his dad gave him. They see him way out there and they're saying, man, here, here he comes. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Then we can tell our father, a wild beast and a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Remember I said earlier, not everybody's for your dreams, okay? Here's what Romans 5 says. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character and proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And here's the point of all this. The dreams that God has given you are in his hands still. Your dreams are in God's hands Reading on in Genesis 37, but when Reuben heard of the schemes, he came to Joseph's rescue. Hey, let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in an empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying hands on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So I would imagine Joseph's a pretty scared young, young kid, 17-year-old kid. His brothers want to kill him. They throw him in a cistern. And yes, remember, my plans, the dreams and the plans that God has for me are in his hands, not in my own. So Joseph arrives, they rip off the beautiful uh, robe he's wearing, and they grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And just as they were sitting down to eat, they look up and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. And it was a group of Ishmaelites who uh, there were traders loading gum and balm and aromatic resin from Gilead. So they took Joseph out of the cistern, his empty cistern, and they sold him to the Ishmaelite traders, and he became their slave. And they took him into town. I'm going to fast forward here, skip through a lot of scripture. They, found, they took him to town, and he was purchased by the captain of the guard, whose name was Potiphar. And so Potter, Potiphar takes him into his home, and we'll pick up here um, in Genesis 39, skip a few chapters over. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything that he did as he served the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar. 
So he made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. Listen to you. Listen to this. When God has given you a dream and you're following his plans and purposes, his dreams are in his hands, people will notice that God has given you favor. People will see the mark of God on your life as you're obedient to him, and everything that you do will have the mark of the touch of God on it. And so you're thinking, wow, he's, he's out of prison, he's, he, or he's out of the pit, and now things are going good. But here's what happens in, later on in, in, in chapter 39. Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. And so now Joseph has gone from the pit that his brothers put him in into the prison that Potiphar has placed him in. But again, the Lord is with Joseph and caused everything that he did to, that he did to succeed in prison. God is still in control of the path. What we have to understand is that when we're experiencing these trials and these tribulations, that what are setbacks to us can oftentimes become set, set ups from God. I feel a setback sometimes, and I'm saying, God, are you trying to set me up for something? And oftentimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no because I'm being disobedient. But when I'm pursuing after God, when my heart is leaning in towards him, and I'm trying to follow his path, the setbacks, I've got to look at them and say, God, you're setting me up for something. I might not be able to see it, but I'm trusting in you. James 1, 1, 2, and 4 says, for many believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure, all, to endure all things. Think about that. When your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection in every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. James 1 in, in chapter 12, that was verse 2 and 4, this is verse 12, says, if your faith remains strong, even while surrounded by life's difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessing of God. True happiness comes to you as you pass the test with faith and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. Those two scriptures there, one and two, and then verse 12 says, life's difficulties or trials and pressures, the word there is paraismos, and it's a state of trial in which God brings you through adversity and affliction in order to encourage and improve your faith and confidence in him. So I've heard people say, and I've said, man, I feel like I'm going through hell right now. Keep going. Don't stop. That test is throwing up a power inside of you. It's proving, it's testing you and it's proving your faith and your trust in him. Don't start looking at the hell you're going through and stop. Go through it. God's taking you through those things. Number four, these trials, they build character. They build endurance. Ultimately, they're shaping your identity. When you're squeezed, what comes out of you? Rhetorical question, just think about it for a minute. When you're squeezed, when it gets tight, when the heat is turned up, when the pressure comes, what comes out? Is it the fruit of the Spirit 
or is it the venom of the enemy? Ever been squeezed? Ever felt pressure? Here's a good way to know, for those of you that are married. Have you ever had your wife as a passenger in a car as you're driving? <laughs> I'm not gonna look over here. And the speed limit is 30, you're doing 32. Eddie, the speed limit is 70, you're doing 72. Eddie, you slow down. You get too close to that car. You almost And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Pressure, adversity, right there. Producing endurance and patience. And I slow down as well. <laughs> Here's the thing. When I'm squeezed, what comes out? I know, honey. I love you. I'm going to slow down now. Let my foot off the gas. Or... Would you stop talking to me? Is it the fruit of the... <laughs> yes. Yes. Patience. Endurance, Lord. Gave him patience. Fruit of the Spirit or venom of the enemy? What's coming out of us when we get pressured and squeezed? See, the trial, this adversity, this affliction that you're going through is meant to prove your faith and your confidence in God. Listen, if all we focus on is on the destination, there's a good chance we're going to miss it. When the trials come and when we get squeezed, that stuff that comes out of you, if it's not the fruit of the Spirit, is going to delay or even possibly forfeit the, God's plan and purpose for your life for a season of time until you get back on that plan and purpose. We need to get our eyes off of the destination and understand that God's focus is really on our development. The, de the destination has already been written in the book. He already knows what the plan and purpose is, the hope in the future. So don't worry about the destination. Worry about the fact that God is focusing on your development and my development. There are a lot of us that have been walking around a mountain for a lot of years on a trip that should have taken a couple of days. If we just stop looking at the destination and allowed God to do the work in us, allow him to develop us, we would have gotten there, yet instead of looking at the trials of God's development, we oftentimes start doubting God. We become angry with God. We start questioning, God, do you even really love me? Are you even aware of what's happening in my life? See, we can look at the trial of, uh, and the tribulations in two different ways. One, we can say the trial is going to stop me from achieving what God wants me to do. Or that trial is going to strengthen me so that I can get to what God wants me to do. It can either stop you or strengthen you. The choice is yours. I want to encourage you, let it strengthen you. Press into God. Lean in. Don't, don't stray from the path, but stay on the path. Romans 8 says this, who could ever separate us from the endless love of, God as, of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder the omnipotent, omnipotent God of uh, the love of God, even though it is written all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet even in the midst of all of these things, we triumph over them all 
For God has made us to be more than conquerors. He has demonstrated his love in our glorious victory over everything. Listen, those trials, they, they build our character and our endurance and they reveal our true identity in him. Number five, you're not forgotten. You're maturing. God is continually trying to mature us. None of us have arrived yet. At home, uh, Beth is, is uh, gardening. She's become, become a gardener. And it was, it's awesome. I love it. I'm so proud of her because when we first got married, she would kill every plant that we ever brought into the house. Am I right, babe? Yes. Amen. And so anyway... But then she's, all of a sudden, she's got, she's watched a lot of YouTube videos. She's had a lot of counsel and people supporting her. And she, now we've planted over 115 plants in, our, in a garden. And um, it's amazing. I'm looking forward to our, our heart. I already see the peppers and the jalapenos coming. I'm excited because tacos are on my way. And so, uh, <laughs> so they're in my life pretty soon. And so what I understand is that there's, what I've learned as I've watched Beth do this is that there's no instant veggies or flowers when they're planted in seed form. It's going to take time. But I also learned is that sometimes Beth can soak the seed in water for a little bit to soften up the kernel and so that it breaks quicker as it gets the soil and it begins to grow. Or what I also discovered is that if it's a very hard shell type of kernel, you can actually tip the very edge of that kernel and then it allows the water to get into it. And as I was studying this message and I was thinking about, wow, you can soak the seed or you can cut the seed, the Holy Spirit began to say, this is a picture of what it is for us to be soaked in the word of God. Ephesians 5 says, he washes us with the washing of water by the word. The word is, is, is acquainted to water. And so we can be washed and soaked in water. It cleanses us, it purifies us without spot or wrinkle or blemish. And it also fills us. But sometimes if our shell is really hard, God has to do some cutting away so that the water can get in there. The water of God's word can get in there and do the work that it's intended to do so that we will grow. And here's the thing. God isn't growing in us, growing us into rather flowers or plants. According to Isaiah 61, he's growing, into, growing us into oaks of righteousness. Amen? And here's the thing. This is not going to make you feel good, but it's pretty positive actually. Oaks of righteousness take 30 years to mature. It takes time. And so we have to be constantly washed by the water of God's word and to allow it to penetrate us in those areas that we've maybe hardened. God is growing us into these oaks and maturing takes time. Pastor Richard would say this, in the meantime, <laughs> can be a meantime. It can be tough. If you're in the in-between time, the meantime, if it's feeling a little bit mean, just say, God, wash me with your word. Let me soak in your word, Lord God, so I can be softened and ready to receive what you have, and then I can begin to grow. Sometimes we may feel forgotten, but God is our ever-present help in our time of need. Genesis 40 says this, sometimes later, think about that, sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. And Pharaoh became angry with these two officials and he put them in prison with Joseph. 
They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them while they were in prison. Remember, Joseph's in prison. Everything was going great. So they trusted Joseph. So Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. And when Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried, they said. He said to them, and they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Now, I want you to remember this line right here. Interpreting dream is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dream. I don't know for a fact, but I think there might have been a little bit of attitude with Joseph on this part. Interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead and tell it to me. And so they tell the dream. And Joseph gives the interpretation. And with the cupbearer, he said, you're going to be restored. My paraphrase, you're going to be restored. With the bread maker, you're going to be impaled and your head's going to be cut off. So after he gives him the dream, he looks at the cupbearer because he knows this guy's not going to be good. And he says, and remember me. Do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place. You see how his eyes have shifted? Yeah, dreams are God's business. Go ahead and tell me your dream. I'll give you the interpretation. Oh, hey, come here. Remember me. I'm not supposed to be here. Okay, when you're restored, and I gave you a good dream, uh, or a good interpretation of your dream, remember me and tell Pharaoh to let me out of here because I'm, I'm, I'm wrongly in prison. So here's what happens. Skip down to verse, chapter 40, verse 20. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later from that conversation. And he prepared a banquet for all of his officials and staff, and he summoned his chief cupbearer and the chief baker to join the officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted the dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. It was only three days. Here's what I believe. God caused him to not remember that. In other words, you're not going to change my plan, Joseph. It's my plan. It's the dream that I've given you. And that dream is still in my hand. So he caused the cupbearer to not remember Joseph. Actually, it had only been three days that he said, hey, remember me. Okay? Joseph is going through what the scriptures call an experiential sanctification. And here's what that is. First off, um, positional sanctification is what happens when you get saved, right? You get saved, you're justified at salvation, uh, and, and you're declared righteousness in the conformity of the image of Jesus Christ. Everything about this has nothing to do with you. It's everything that God has done in you. You just simply surrendered, okay? And so that's, your, that's that, that positional sanctification. I'm now saved, and I'm positionally justified. Experiential sanctification is this, is spiritual maturity, it's the progressive work of God and man partnering together that makes us more free from sin and more like Jesus in our actual lives. This type of sanctification, listen to this, is spiritual maturity. It's becoming an experience what we already are positionally. I'm becoming 
who I already am, okay? And so this is what is happening with Joseph. Galatians 5 says it this way, as you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your life for your self-life craves the things that, are offend, that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. Joseph was experiencing that hindrance. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation of the life of the Spirit. They're doing this. Joseph's flesh was saying, get me out of here. The Spirit of God was saying, it's not yet. Through spiritual maturing, you begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit in greater measure. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And it's not just about the quality of the fruit now, it's also about the quantity. Because some of us can love for a minute or two, some of us can be patient for a minute or two, but squeeze this pressure us, and all of a sudden we lose it. So it's great that we have fruit, but now we're worried about the quantity of the fruit. All day long, Beth can say, slow down. You're going too fast. All day long, Beth can say, stop. We're going to hit the car. Yes, honey. Yes, yes. Patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Listen to this. Genesis 41. Two full years later. First three days, the cupbearer forgot. Now two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing at the bank of the Nile River and in the dream, he said, I saw really fat cattle and I saw really thin cattle. And the thin cattle ate the fat cattle, but they were still thin. And then I saw these heads of grain, and there was full heads of grain. Then I saw there was very weak uh, grain stalks and heads. But the, the weak ate the, the large grain stalks, but they were still weak. And he tried to get everybody, all of his magicians to interpret it, and nobody could interpret it. And all of a sudden, look at this, Genesis 41 Verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once because the cupbearer said, man, I remembered somebody who interpreted my dream and it came out exactly as he said it was gonna happen. And he quickly brought Joseph out from the prison and, and he shaved and changed his clothes and he went before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Now listen to what Joseph said this time. It is beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. You see the difference? Only God interprets dreams. Go ahead and tell me about it. Versus, it's beyond my power to do this. But God can interpret your dream and also bring you peace. He can set you at ease. Joseph's no longer looking to impress. He's no longer concerned that he's been forgotten. He's not looking for favor anymore. 
to get out of tough circumstances. All Joseph cares about is position, is pointing Pharaoh to God and assuring him that God can set his heart at ease. Joseph ended up becoming the second most powerful man in the world. He implemented a plan to save not only the Egyptians, but the people of God as well. God has a great purpose for Joseph. He set up the timing. He laid out the path. He positioned the trials. He built his character and developed his endurance. It revealed Joseph's true identity. And even when the cupbearer forgot about Joseph, God didn't. God was working to mature Joseph. Here's the end of the story. The famine had begun, just like Pharaoh's dreams that God interpreted said they would. It affected everyone, not just Egypt, but the whole area, including Joseph's family, who've now come to Egypt to seek relief so they don't starve. Joseph put them through their own trial and through their own test. But at the end of the day, he's revealing himself to his brothers. And he says in Genesis 45, verse 4, 7, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourself for selling me to this place. This is awesome. He says, it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that's ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Number six, this is the last note here, we're done. Joseph has a revelation of the dreams that he had many years ago. Those dreams were not of him lording over his brothers and sisters. Not of him having his parents and his brothers bowing down before him. It was God showing him the path that he had laid out for Joseph. It was God giving him a glimpse of his great purpose. Now not just for Joseph, but to preserve the lives of many but it took Joseph surrendering to that purpose, going through everything that he went through to be prepared by God to save a nation. Stand up with me if you would. God's purpose for you is great. He has a great purpose for you. If you've gotten off the path, you need to step back into it. You need to repent if that's what it takes. And you need to surrender again to God's plan and purposes for your life because they're great. You may be squeezed right now. That's okay. God's still in control. The dream that he has for you is still in his hand. And that pressure is going to bring endurance to you. It's going to strengthen your faith. You're going through it. He's maturing you. 
He's positioning you. And it may feel like it's wilderness, but understand, in that place, God is going to be your source. He's going to be who you need to lean on to. Any setbacks, understand that they're going to be a setup as you lean into him. Father God, I lift up this congregation before you. I lift up those online this morning. And I pray, Lord God, that you would begin to stir them up in their spirit to reveal the dreams, the plans, and the, and the, and the future that you have for them, Lord God. Would you begin even now to lay out the path for them to see it clearly, Lord God, and that they would not look to the right or to the left, but keep their eyes focused on the path that is you. Father, would you surround them with your word, Lord God, drench them in your word, soak, wash them, cleanse them, soak them, Lord God, in your word. And what needs to be cut, Lord God, would you cut it away from them so they could bear a lot of fruit? If you're here this morning, if you join us online and perhaps you're reading this or hearing this message and you're saying, wow, I, I, he keeps talking about surrendering to God's plan, but I've never surrendered my life to God. If that's you and maybe you're in this room or there, you're online, you're in your car, you're in your home. The scriptures say that today is the day of salvation and all you have to do is accept that invitation. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved. So if you're in this room today and you would want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to do business with God. If you're there online, join us online, I want you to wherever you're at to position yourself. He may, that may mean laying down, kneeling, whatever it is for you. But I want you to pray this prayer with me and we're going to pray this prayer together. And we're doing this, one, to partner with you, to support you, to say we're a church family, we want to support you. But also it's because we want to remind ourselves that we need to surrender daily. It's not a one-shot deal. God maybe has saved us, but we have to surrender our lives daily to him. So we're going to pray a prayer, and I want you to repeat after me if you would, church family. Father God, today I repent of my sin, and I surrender my life to you. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness and fill me with your spirit. I receive your son Jesus Christ as my savior. Thank you God for saving me. Lead me, guide me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give the Lord a clap offering this morning?